We uh, begin a new ministry year and enter into the fall and everything starts back up. We, uh, we're going to spend a few weeks, just finished a series preaching through uh, Psalms. Not every one of them, but since January we've preached several dozen at least. And uh, we are moving now to a, a short series on our philosophy of ministry. Uh, to talk about some of the ways that we think about accomplishing uh, providing for you and accomplishing in the midst of the church all that God is calling us to do. On the front of our bulletin you see the, uh, our mission statement that we want to be a community that is liberated by grace, that is living lives fully committed to Christ. And that should be your great desire to be so liberated by God's grace that your life is given over fully to living for Christ. And then leading others into a life-transforming encounter with Him. Um, And so that is the grand vision, so to speak, that guides us, that we want to be this kind of a community, but how are we going to do it? Uh, And some of the ways that we think about the life of the church and what it is that we need to do in order to be that community, and that becomes our philosophy of ministry. And so we talk about worship, serve, connect, and grow. Uh, as a people, and I'm going to walk through those over the next number of weeks, and we will think and uh, incorporate that way of thinking into our uh, life as a body and as a church, trying to accomplish all that God is calling us to do. We are starting this morning then with worship, which is at the center. We are in Exodus 31, verses 12 to 18. Hear then the Word of God. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel, and you are to say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout the generations that you may know that I, the Lord, am the one who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall you work. Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest. and is holy to Yahweh, to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. And therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. And so He gave to Moses, when He had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone that were written with the finger of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people. You have called us to worship and we have come. And we bow down before you to give you our hearts and our souls and our very lives. Not only in these moments, but to consecrate to you afresh all that we are and all that we do. And so even now as we sit at your feet to hear from you, Give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we would not only learn and gain information, but that by the power of Your Word and the presence of Your Spirit, that we would be transformed into the likeness 
of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray and ask. Amen. And so we begin with worship as part of a philosophy of ministry. A philosophy of ministry simply gives structure and definition to the way that we do church. We have to think deliberately. They say if you aim at nothing, you are, you'll probably hit it. And so we don't want to aim at nothing. We want to think very deliberately about why we do what we do. And that everything that we do is not because we've always done it that way, or that's the way a lot of other churches do it, or that's the way we grew up doing it, but because that accomplishes the mission and the purpose of the church that God has given to us. We want to worship, serve, connect, and grow. Because we believe that the Scripture calls us as a people, to be and to do these things. And all of the rest of the life of the church, I think, flows out of those as we seek to reach the world and to lead others into a life-transforming encounter with Christ that we first must have that encounter and have it at the center of our own lives and experience and that we're living it out in service and connection as a body in Christ that they will know that we are Christians by our love. And that we are growing every day more and more to be like Jesus. And so in many ways, the philosophy of ministry of worship, serve, connect, and grow, is your job description. In many ways, what, what the Scripture calls us to be and to do. And so it's the tracks that the church runs on. In many ways, it's just capturing some of those things that we have already been doing and thinking of them very deliberately and the tracks that take us where God wants us to go. We'd love to see every member pursuing each one of these. All of them are general in the Christian life. You know, each one of these, you could think about it in terms of your, your own walk with Christ and what it means to live for Him every day out there. I want to talk about them over the next four weeks as they relate, relate to us and apply to us corporately, as a body, as a church. What does it mean for us to worship and to serve as a, as a body being connected and to grow in Christ together. So I'm talking about the philosophy of ministry, how God works in and through the life of the church. What is expected of you? What is expected of me? What should I be doing if you were to ask that question as a member of HPC? As, as, a, as a growing believer, what is it I should be doing? And there are more than these, but as we expand on them, they become umbrellas for things under them. We should be a people who worship, a people who are serving somewhere, a people who are connected because that's what it means to be a body, and a people who are growing, who are advancing in their faith and in the Christian life. So we start with corporate worship. What we're doing this morning. Because I believe that what we're doing this morning and what we have been doing this last hour, what we continue to do even now, which continues to be worship, everything from that call to worship until the benediction, all that we do is worship. And I believe here in this gathered sense is the beating heart of who we are and what we are able to accomplish as a church. As we are together and worship corporately at the center of our lives. It always has been and I believe it always will be until the Lord returns until the world ends, the center of the Christian life, not only of us corporately, but you personally. That that worship should be at the center. And God has placed the Sabbath and its worship 
at the center of the life of His people. As you read the Old Testament, as you read that passage, I don't know how that strikes you because, I mean, it definitely is there under the giving of the law, and so the law sometimes strikes us that way. But it almost comes as a, as a blow. The strength with which God brings the Sabbath into the life of His people. And the consequences of not honoring it and keeping it. But He gives it to us both as a duty as it comes to us here in law, but also as a blessing. So that what we do on Sunday morning, and I believe what we're doing here this morning, and, and what we do hopefully on a Sundays, and I want to talk more about that, that it's not one of the things that we do along with the other list of all the stuff that the church you know, does, but that, that this worship, that who we are as we're gathered and what we do is not one of the things, but is the central thing like the hub of a wheel, and everything flows out from it. So he gives the Sabbath to his people. In verses 12 and 13, it says, The Lord tells Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel, and you're to tell them, above all, he's been telling them a lot of things, right? He's been talking to them for the last, if you read the book of Exodus up to this point, the amount of information of things that he wants them to do, a tabernacle to build, and all this the, 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 the things that go with that. And he gives them all of this and he says, but above all, you are to keep my Sabbaths. It will be a sign between me and you throughout the generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The Sabbath is about what God does. It's His day. And it stops our doing so that we focus on what God does. And what God is doing and enter into that and realign ourselves with that. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And so he's given all these meticulous specifications for the tabernacle and the temple. But he says, verily, surely, above all, you will keep my Sabbath. Probably five times throughout this passage, this very short passage, he says, you will observe the Sabbath, you will keep the Sabbath, you will observe the Sabbath. It's reiterated over and over again, not only in this passage, but as you read the Old Testament, it is, it is from here and from this giving on ingrained in the life of His people. And why? It's because in verse 13, as He says, above all, keep it. It's a sign. But above all, you will keep My Sabbaths. It's a personal, possessive, pronoun. He says it's mine. That day that I have set apart. That day that I'm talking about. That day that I'm calling to you. He says in verse 14, it's holy for you because in verse 15, it is holy to the Lord. And because it's holy to the Lord, set apart for the... Holy there means set apart. That's what holy means. Set apart specifically for the purpose of worship. Everything in the temple was sprinkled and set apart, whether it was a candelabra or a, or a basin or whatever it was. It was holy because it was in the temple. It was set apart for worship. And he says that this day is holy to the Lord, set apart to Him. And so he says it will be holy for you. That's the place it will hold in your life. Because it is the Lord's day. right? He says it's my day. It is my Sabbath. It is holy to me. He claims the seventh day so to speak, as His own. In verse 14, we see that it's serious business. 
And he says it a couple of times, that you shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it will be put to death. Now there were a lot more things in the Old Testament that carried capital punishment with them. But this was one of them. It was on the list of those things that made it to that height of the level at which the Lord understood the place that this should play in the life of His people. In verses 16 and 17, he goes on and talks about it as part of a covenant and a sign, a relationship. He says, six days you'll work. On the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. It's holy to me, to Yahweh. Whoever does any work will be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel will keep it, observing it throughout the generations as a covenant. Verse 17, it is a sign. A covenant and a sign. It it defines, in a sense, what we're doing here this morning. You could be doing a lot of things. And the rest of the world is. They're somewhere else doing something else. Something that fulfills them. Something that makes life meaningful for them. Something that perhaps is at the center of their life and their existence. It gives them meaning. But we're here. He says there is something, God says, in the rhythm of life, in the rhythm of time, in the way that it goes, six days you'll work, and on one day, there's going to be this space, and it's going to be special in your life, and it's going to define you, at least partially define you, as my people. Because on that day that's holy to me is a day for us to be together and to worship. God's people are a gathered people. It is the assembly of Israel. The church literally means assembly. It is a gathered people. In verse 17, we see that it predates the law. It's interesting that he says it's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day He rested and He was refreshed. Don't ask me what it means for the Lord to rest and be refreshed. I'm going to leave that in mystery. but, But He is telling us something important. And he says, this isn't just part of the law. He's writing it into the law, and we're going to see that. And he doesn't just write it into the rest of the law, the tabernacle and the the candelabras and then this and that. No, he writes it with his finger on a stone with the other ten. Like he writes it into, he says it predates the law. It is this rhythm in which the world was created. And and in this rhythm, I'm going to write it into the big ten. Right, which is where he goes in verse 18. And he gave to Moses when he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets. Right, the tablets of stone written with the very finger of God. And in it is written the Sabbath. As I said, there were tons of instructions that he had given, but there were ten things he wrote down. And he used his own finger, anthropomorphically speaking, humanly speaking, to do it. In other words, he engraved them. Whatever that looked like. He wrote them down. In stone. The Sabbath remained a deep issue for God's people and does throughout their entire history. A place of uh, importance that is restated over and over and over again in the life of Israel. It remains written in those ten 
which we have always, at least the church has always seen the ten as, the, as, the, as again the core. All the other laws ceremonially and civilly that were written around it all flowed out of a central core of what we called a moral law. A moral law that was unchanging and unchangeable that reflected who God is and the relationship between the world and Him that lives in His image at the core, the Ten Commandments, a moral law. And even though some of those ceremonial laws pass away with Christ, some of those civil laws pass away with with Israel, at the core, there's a moral law that stays and continues to be formative and instructive of God's people. In Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, Isaiah writing to Israel later in their history, and he says, and, and, and as the prophets come um, to Israel, it is as, as God brings them under judgment, And as they are invaded and brought under that judgment, first by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then the Persians, uh, and this series of of punishments that come into the life of Israel, and all the prophets speak to Israel telling them, these are the reasons why you've come under God's judgment. And you see in Malachi it had to do with the tithe, and you'll see in other places it has to do with justice and mercy and being God's people. And in some places... It has to do with the Sabbath. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, and if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in me, in Yahweh. In the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will bless you in it. Because it's a gift to you. And in the midst of it, you will find great blessing. At the center of Israel's covenant breaking, because it was at the center of Israel's covenant, it will be a covenant and a sign for you, was a breaking of Sabbath. The Sabbath breaking, which he defines here by Isaiah, doing our own thing and going our own way. Doing our will and not His. And so the discussion follows, and I hope you you know as we come out of this text, and one of the most difficult things in all of biblical studies in theology is the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And is figuring out in in the way the relation between all, all of these things that God has done in the Old Testament and the way that in the New Testament that we are no longer under law but under grace, that, that we no longer you know, uh, feel the pressure of the law in the way that we did in the Old because Jesus has fulfilled it. And figuring out though what is it then that we still come under obligation to and what are the relationships. But there are so many things like the rest of the other nine commandments that even though Jesus fulfilled them, doesn't release us from seeking to fulfill them ourselves as a pattern of life. Not so God will be pleased with us and so He'll save us or accept us because Christ has fulfilled them on our behalf. He has lived the perfect life, fulfilling all the law, dying the death that we deserve to die for not fulfilling the law. And through trust and faith in Him alone as our Savior, we stand accepted and fully before God. And so the law is no longer our master. And we are free to live for Christ. But in His fulfilling of the law, in all of the Ten Commandments where we fail, doesn't release us. It actually becomes the pattern for our living. 
Not because we're seeking to be accepted, but because we are. And as God's people, we fulfill. We want to be people that we have no other God. The law comes in two tables. Most of you know this. The first four have to do with God. And the last six have to do with our relationship with each other. And the first four, that we will have no other gods. And that we won't make any images or idols or representations of Him. And we won't take His name in vain. That it will mean something in our lives when we bear His name. And we will remember and keep the Sabbath. And they say all four of these are the moral law that define a believer's relationship with God in honoring Him. And the other six, as you know and go on, from honoring our parents to being faithful and not murdering and stealing and coveting and those things have to do with our relationship. Jesus fulfills all of them. And then gives them back to us as a pattern for living. A pattern for life. A righteous life. Not to be accepted. He is righteousness is ours alone. Right? But do we see this? And so there, there is this, as we debate, because there is a whole debate on whether we still should keep a Sabbath and what does that look like or not. And much of the church has thrown it out the window and it's a day like any other. It's a family day. It's a sport day. And we'll do this on the Sabbath and it's, a shop, it's just one more shopping day of the week or it's one more whatever. And we, we just incorporate it in the flow of the culture as it just swallows it up with the rest. He says this will be a sign that sets you apart. There's one way that, that you, instead of worshiping the mall and worshiping sports or worshiping whatever else it is, you worship me. And one of the ways the world sees that is that you keep Sabbath. Right? That, we, that we have time in our lives. When we ask this question, is it still in force for us? In some ways, the Reformed tradition is always answered with a resounding yes. It's part of that first table of the law that, that God wrote with His finger. Right there with having no other gods and not taking His name in vain. And it's part of that moral core of how we relate to Him. And He would no more abandon this command than the other nine. There is a rhythm to creation. The Creator who wove into the very fabric of life this, this, this rhythm of work and rest like Him. He gives it as a blessing and a duty. As you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, as you most of you would know, or one of our theological documents, it is our Constitution. As they answer this question, they say this. This is Westminster Confession of Faith 21, verses parts 7 and 8. As it is the law of nature that in general, a due proportion of time should be set apart for the worship of God. So in His Word, by a positive, that means it's not just an example that we see there, it's a stated, positive, moral, uh, you know, not a thing indifferent or, you know... uh, but, a, but part of the ten has a moral thing about our relationship to God. And perpetual. It's a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment binding on all men in all ages. And He has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto Him. Which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection was the last day of the week and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day. And it is to be continued to the end of the world as a Christian Sabbath. We don't keep it as part of the law. But we make it part of the rhythm of our life because in the moral fabric of the universe and the way that God made it, there is a rhythm in life that is healthy and wholesome and right. 
that is patterned after the Creator Himself as all of those commandments call us to be like Him. And so we're saying that this is a... So we don't keep it in the legalistic Old Testament Israelitish sense. But as part of the Ten Commandments, there is something captured here that is important in the life of God's people. Jesus comes as a Sabbath keeper. He argues with the Pharisees about how to keep the Sabbath, but never whether we should keep the Sabbath. While Jesus is transitioning some things, He never clearly transitions this. At one point, He calls Himself the Lord of the Sabbath. As if that meant something. It says in Luke 4.16, He came up from Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, His pattern, His habit, He went to the synagogue. He gathered with God's people on the Sabbath day. And He stood up there and He read. It was Jesus' custom, His habit, His regular practice. It was a practice of gathering and it centered around God's Word. He read the Scripture in the hearing of God's people. It is something that has been done in the midst of God's people since the beginning in the synagogue tradition of Old Testament, in the synagogue tradition of the New Testament, in the New Testament pattern of the church. It has been the pattern as long as God has had a people. Acts 20, verse 7, he says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Intending to depart on the next day, he prolonged his sermon until midnight. I think I can do better, but I'm not saying that's advisable. He was leaving the next day, so they had a night meeting, and maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but I know that they had an appetite for God's Word. That was unparalleled at times. And you see it in many places still. Jesus fulfills those commandments, but we are not released from patterning our lives. Let me just walk through some things that I think that the Sabbath is about as we try to wrap our lives around this. And I do believe as I am trying to talk about a philosophy of ministry and saying that at the center of the life of God's people and of our church ought to be Worship. Gathered corporate worship. Uh, a connecting of God's people. It's the place where we do all of some of the other ones. Where we serve one another by sharing our voices and sharing our tithes and praying together and, and sitting together and learning and being shaped by the Word together. We serve, we connect, and we grow. So let me just talk about a few of the things I'm going to walk through quickly that, that they are for us. The Sabbath is about time. Right? If nothing else, as you read that text, it's about time. Six days you'll do this, one day you'll do that. Right? I'm carving out time. I'm, ta- I'm taking lordship over time. It's a non-renewable resource. Some of it's mine. Right? And I, I want it to be used in very purposeful, deliberate ways in the life of my people. Right? In the frantic, maddening, unceasing flow of times. I don't know if you ever feel that way. The days just go. And I'm like, I can't believe it's August. I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe we're doing that. I don't know where the summer went. I don't know where my time, my days are so full. I get home and I'm tired. And it just seems to be in this frantic, maddening, unceasing flow of time. God creates a bubble. <laughs> he creates a little space. And He takes all that out of it. You will not do that. Today. Today has sacred purpose and meaning. He sets time aside so that our mind and our energies that are so consumed 
can be redirected, refreshed, renewed, strengthened. Like the tithe, God has set apart the first portion of all you produce and says there's a portion of it that's especially mine. Right? The tithe. And then he says, but this, he, he, he has us with the tithe to unclench our fingers to our money and to our stuff. And he unclenches our finger from it and helps us to give it to him, helps us to learn that all that we have is his by laying claim to, the, claim to this portion. And the same is in time as he lays claim to this piece of time. This day is my day. It unclenches our fingers from our time. It helps us to remember that all of time is His. I'll use the other six days better if I use this one well. It unclenches and it reminds us. Learning to honor God with our time woven into the fabric and the rhythm of life is one day in seven where God, that is God's, where He reigns supreme in my time, in my affections, in, in what I do, that this becomes not just one of those things, but the thing at the very center. It's about time, and it's about rest. It comes clear in this text and in all the texts. It's such a gift. It comes, it's a gift of rest. How many people here need some rest? I took vacation. I came home saying, I need a vacation from my vacation. Right? I, you know, we, we need rest. We are a people that are desperate. And he says, you will cease to work and be productive. All of your physical and mental labor will be put aside. You will stop. Stop. Stop your worry and distraction. I think it's what Jesus says when he, Mark 2, when he says the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. God didn't create a rule and say, okay, now randomly I'm going to have all you guys obey it. Just because I can. Right? No, it's not like that, is it? God creates the Sabbath for us. He said He creates us and He knows our weakness and our failure and He says, I create a gift for you. A rest. You're not slaves. Cease. We can become slaves to our time, can't we? Slaves to our calendar and our daytimer, to control and to doing and to being productive and to becomes part of our righteousness how well we, we can do this. God says, stop it. Just stop it. Just put it aside. Stop it. Your, your relationship with me, your righteousness before me, my love for you, your salvation has nothing to do with all that. It is a fine thing, and don't get me wrong, when it comes to, you know, He will make those six days better when on the seventh it's about Him. We stop all the stuff that normally occupies our minds and consumes our energies and, and distracts and drains our souls. If as Thomas says, it was meant to prevent a constant absorption in worldly affairs. It's meant to prevent a constant absorption in worldly affairs. And if we let it, it will bleed right over in and take over. And it often does. At least sporadically. To our own destruction. Right? The gift comes as a command. Why does it come as a command? All the commands in those ten, understand, are for your good. There's not one of them that's random. There's not one of them that if you got to do it, would be for your good. 
All of the things in those Ten Commandments that He commands of you, He commands because they are the best thing for you. They bless you when we are honest and faithful. Right? When we are not coveting, but content and gracious. When we honor the people God has put in our lives. When we keep these commandments, they are a great blessing. And so the gift comes as a command because God knows, given a choice, we won't stop. When we find our righteousness in it, we find our meaning in it, we find our enjoyment in it, and wherever else you want to put in it, And so He commands us to cease. He gives us a refuge from a destructive culture of busyness. And at the center of this rest is worship. The Sabbath is about worship. And we think of rest, I mean, and I would think God is holistic, and I think He means for all of you to be renewed. So I think it is physical. I do nap on the Sabbath. I think it is physical. I think it is mental. I think it is spiritual. It is that day that if you've been running frantically, you probably should nap. You know that it's a day where we need though not only to mentally put aside all that work and physically maybe to get rest, but at the center of all of our great needs as the people of God is to be renewed spiritually. And we miss this so often. We think, we think what we need is to be distracted, to veg, to be entertained, to go and just do nothing and to watch and to play. And I'm not saying there's not, we don't need play and that we need, we do. But if that becomes instead of being recreated spiritually, and I don't know about you, Sunday after Sunday, I come and come empty and go full. I come, you know, weak and find myself strengthened. I come wavering and go away, committed and confident and wanting to follow Christ this week. You know, it is that time, both here and as we use the day wisely. To be reoriented spiritually. It is one of the most important forms of rest. is spiritual rest. Jesus claimed lordship over the Sabbath. It is His day. Demarest says the reiteration of the Sabbath law is a reminder that the cornerstone of the entire worship life of Israel is the Sabbath. A day to remember. A day to reorient. A day to refocus. A day... To be still and to know that He is God. A day that helps set the compass to true north again. And to start over. The Sabbath should be about God's people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, a sacred assembly, a day of gathering, being set apart people gathering. Connecting, being shaped together, being refreshed and encouraged as a people. Not going our own way, but moving toward Him and toward each other. The Sabbath should be a delight. Even the Old Testament says that. Isaiah 58 that we read, it says, if, you do this, if, you, if the Sabbath is your delight, then I will be your delight. And if I am your delight, I will bless you. You can't imagine the blessing when when He truly is at the center and our delight in a way that changes everything. Let me close just by saying then it is ultimately about Jesus. Everything is ultimately about Jesus. 
Jesus' call to you is His call this morning as you think about the Sabbath. I don't want you to hear law in some ways. We read Exodus, but in some ways we need to hear and move into Jesus in the New Testament and understand the Spirit of it as His children that He offers you this gift. Jesus has come to me, all who are weary and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. My friends, sometimes I think we use that time that God has given us. I hear people say, I don't have time to read, or I don't have time to do this, or I don't have time to go to Sunday school, or I don't have time to be a part of a group, or I don't have time, I don't have time. And I would say this, God gave you time. He carved out a slice of time and said mine, and now yours. Use it, right, in a way that brings life to your souls, connects you to each other and to me. Jesus says, come to me and I will give rest for your souls. This is what the Sabbath is about. It's about soul rest. About laying our burdens down and putting our work aside and learning to delight ourselves in Christ our Savior and the Lord, the Father who sent Him and who gives to us. He commands us, stop, stop, stop. Remember, worship, connect. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by the six days and whatever goes on there and however hard we labor. Not by saved by our constant doing. We lift our eyes from these worldly pursuits to the One who sits enthroned, who has paid it all, who has done it all, and who saves us completely and sends us into a Monday refreshed and full. We're saved by grace. And grace alone, through faith and trust in Christ. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great gift that you have given your people. That we don't have to work all the time. And that even in our working, you would be wise enough to know that we would get so wrapped up in it, we would get lost in it. And in getting lost in it, we would lose sight of you. We thank you for the Sabbath, the Lord's day, the day that is gifted to us for our souls, that we might be full and that we might live. I pray, Father, that You would teach us as Your people to drink deeply of this gift. And that on this day, we would find our delight in You in such a way that we are strengthened and encouraged and our souls refreshed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.